Well, we have been studying this book out because uh, we've been studying the life of Moses. And uh, this is Moses' book, if you will. It is the book of God, no doubt about that. That is the inspired scripture. But this is the book of Moses. Uh, Moses wrote this as a reminder and as his own personal letter to the children of Israel to remember. To remember the law of God. That's what Deuteronomy means. It means the second, the second giving of the law. The second giving of the law. And it doesn't contain all the law. We don't have all the ceremonial laws. We don't have all the laws about the tabernacle. Um, we don't have all of those laws. But you have a great host of different laws that are in here. But the first portion of the book is used uh, not so much to give laws, though chapter number 5 does. Chapter number 5 gives to us again the Ten Commandments. It's the second giving of the Ten Commandments in chapter number 5. And, uh, but these first several chapters have just been basically reminders of where God had brought them from and uh, how God had uh, used them and how God had blessed them and how God wanted to bless them. And so uh, that's what this has been all about. And we have uh, taken this study on, and we have, and I have decided to just go through it by three chapters at a time, and uh, and just getting a good overview and a summary of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, this is uh, in my, I guess, about eighteen years—not eighteen years, but almost eighteen years, about seventeen years of preaching. I've never done anything like this before, so this is kind of neat, a little different for me too. And uh, to try to learn how to, uh, to uh, I guess, consolidate some things down and just give just the, uh, the bare minimum, what's what we're trying to get at. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, if you remember, uh, we summarized uh, with this simple statement, do not fear the people of the land. That was chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 6 was fear God and keep His commandments. So the first three chapters dealt with do not fearing the people of the land. The second three chapters dealt with fearing God and keeping His commandments. Remember, we saw over 40 different times the word keep, do, listen, bind. All of those words is, is uh, given to us there. Observe. In fact, observe and to keep, I didn't mention this last time, are the exact same Hebrew word, uh, but our English just breaks it up uh, so there's not monotony in the Scripture so that we can kind of get an idea of what was going on. It's just a different word in our English, but in the Hebrew it was the same. It means to keep or to guard is the idea of observing. Observing like a, um, the word observe when you find it in the Old Testament, think of it like this, an observation tower uh, at a prison, uh, an observatory, an observation, a guard tower is the idea. Uh, so a guard is sitting there at the prison yard and he is observing. Or somebody at the border, they're at a guard tower and they're observing, uh, seeing what's happening, making sure everything is okay. And then tonight we're going to see uh, chapters 7, 8, and 9. And tonight our theme will be do not forget God. Do not forget God and keep His commandments. So keep His commandments is still the tagline on both of these. But fear God, but tonight is do not forget God. Do not forget God. You're going to find this word forget or remember 
about ten times, eight or nine times in chapters 7, 8, and 9. It's mentioned, the words forget or remember are mentioned about 23 different times in the book of Deuteronomy. So it is a theme that is running all throughout the book. Not as a great of a theme as keep, do, observe, and the rest of those, but this is definitely a secondary theme uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. Do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. And that needs to be our theme in our life, is that we do not forget. We must remember the Lord and God's holy word. The theme verse, I believe, for these three chapters are found, is found in Deuteronomy 8, 18, and 19. So if you'll go there first for me, and let us read these together. All right? Let's read verse number 18 all as unison. How can we do that tonight? All right, let's try it all here together. Are you ready? Here we go. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, I'll, I'll read this next one by myself, and it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. So those are the theme verses that we're going to use here tonight, but especially verse number 18 that we read together. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Another key verse that is found in these three chapters is found in Deuteronomy 7, in verse number 9. This is a well-known verse, and you probably you might recognize it. It says, Now know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, that the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So those two verses really, Deuteronomy 7, 8, or excuse me, 7, 9, and Deuteronomy 8, 18 are just some good solid verses to keep in the memory bank. But tonight we're thinking about do not forget God. Do not forget God. And tonight we want to think about it like this. Chapter 7 is dealing with this. Remember what God has called you to do. Remember what God has called you to do. Chapter 8 will be, remember where God has brought you from. Remember where God has brought you from. And then chapter number 9, remember this. Remember God's grace in your life. Remember God's grace in your life. So we're going to see these three things here tonight about remembering the Lord. Chapter number 7 here this evening, we ought to be remembering what God has called us to. Chapter number 7 is uh, Moses' way of reminding the people of God that God has called them uh, to uh, destroy the nations that are around them. And I'm not trying to uh, add insult to injury here at all tonight, all right? But we see why that command was so important even in our modern day, do we not? Uh, even as we speak at this very moment. And Israel never did follow through on God's commandments, and they were hurt because of that. And they went into captivity because of that. And uh, they uh, have been for centuries because they did not obey God. And um, 
We find in chapter number 7, though, verses 1 through 6, deals with Israel's actions toward the people that are in the land currently, that is the Canaanites, the Jebusites. Uh, Let's read about them in verse number 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, he says, he calls calls out their names, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations shall greater and mightier than thou. Okay? Now, God did not command the nation of Israel to kill, and sometimes this gets confused, and to destroy every nation that, were, that, was, in the, that was in the land. Okay? He only commanded that they kill these nations, that they destroy these nations. All right? And we're going to see why here in just a moment. But I wanted to just point that out to you here tonight. Sometimes we get this false idea that God wanted the Israelites to just go ahead and kill everybody. Uh, that's not what he wanted them to do. That was not God's plan. God's plan was them for them to destroy these nations. And as we'll see, because of their wickedness. Because of their wickedness. But he just tells them, he tells them how to do this and what their actions are to be towards them. Number one, they were to not to make marriages with them, nor were they to worship their idols. And may I say that those two commands still apply to us today? That we are to not make marriages as Christian people with unsaved people. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14 that we are to not have uh, these mixed marriages. We ought not to uh, have these things. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 verses number 14 through 18 tell us and outline that for us perfectly. He says there in chapter 6 and verse number 14, it says here for us, it says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, As he says here, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? And he goes on to say more things about that. What what concord hath Christ with Belial? The point being is this, is that we shouldn't make unequally yoked uh, relationships with unbelievers. And I believe that applies definitely to marriages. Definitely. Is that Christians ought not to be marrying uh, unbelievers. If they're a Christian, uh, if you're a Christian, if you get saved after you're married, that's another thing. Second, First Corinthians chapter number 7 deals with that, all right? But in this case, he's speaking about, we're talking about if you're a Christian before you get married, you ought not to marry somebody that's unsaved. This has been a principle of God all for a very long time, right? A very long time. Uh, we even know that Jacob's uh, parents, uh, Isaac, and Rebecca, Isaac and Rebecca, right, uh, were not pleased when Esau married of the Canaanite women. Uh, they weren't pleased by this. And, uh, and so we find that it goes a long ways back, further than what we can imagine, further than what most people imagine. Secondly, we see in verses 7 through 11, we find a reminder not only about how they are to deal with the nations that are around them, but they are also, we see a reminder of God's faithfulness to them. God's faithfulness to them. God had been very faithful to them. And he did not uh, give them the land because they were a great people or because they were a mighty people, but because, as he says in verse number 8, but because the Lord loved you. Because the Lord loved you. And because he would keep the oath that he had sworn unto your fathers. 
Isn't that great? That God gives to us the good things in life and God gives to us salvation because He loves us. Not because we're a great and mighty people. But also He gives it to us because He swore to Abraham that He would. Right? He promised Abraham that there would be uh, out of his loins one that would bless all nations. And that is us that are Gentiles. He blesses us. Praise God for that. Verses 12, verse number 11 tells us this. He says, or excuse me, verse number 9, he says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. He's the one that keeps covenant and mercy. But not only that, but he will repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. That's a very interesting way of saying it, isn't it? He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. He's telling them uh, the contrast is this, is that if you follow God and keep his commandments, God will bless you. But those that hate God and turn away from God is that God will surely bring his vengeance down upon them. And that is what we can also take comfort in as believers and understanding is that God will have his vengeance It is not for us to take vengeance on people. It is up to God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we find in verses 12 through 16 now, we find God's blessings upon them if they will destroy the inhabitants of the land. If they'll listen to God, God says, this is what I will do for you. Verse number 12, wherefore, if it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep them and do them, the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers, and he will love thee and bless thee. And what's he going to do for them? Well, he will bless the fruit of the womb, uh, both in man and both in beast. He will give, uh, he will give families, children. He will not uh, let women be barren, nor will he let uh, their cattle and their livestock be barren. Understand that uh, this was an agrarian society and they depended heavily upon their livestock uh, uh, producing. And so if their livestock did not produce, then they were not going to be able to uh, produce the products and, the, and have a good economy. So he says, hey, God will bless you. God will help you to have many sons and daughters. God will help you to have uh, many lambs and many, uh, many calves. And he's going to give you all of these things. Not only that, but he says to them also, in verse number 15, he says, God will take away all the sicknesses from you. You won't be sick. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Amen? These were the promises of God. And God will allow you to consume the land of the wicked doers, of the evildoers. God will allow you to inherit their land. Problem is this, is that they did not obey God. So you don't find these promises fulfilled because they didn't obey God. They didn't obey the Lord. Not all of them. Some of them. Maybe partial fulfillment, but not all of them. And then finally, in verses 17 through 26, God promises that he will ultimately destroy and drive out the inhabitants of the land. Now, this is interesting to me. Now, he tells them that they should drive them out. But in verse number 17, he knows their hearts. For he says, if thou shalt say in thine heart, aren't you glad that God knows your heart? He knows knows you. He knows me. He knows what's going on inside here. 
And he says, if thou, if thou say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? He knew what they might think when they got there. He knew what they might begin to consider. And if you read the book of Judges and Joshua, you'll find out that they did consider these things. And there were times where uh, tribes like Dan and others said, how can we go into the land? Uh, how can we do this? They're too great. They have chariots of iron. You remember that in Joshua? And uh, Joshua encouraged them, go up and possess it. God's given it to you. Um, he says, don't be afraid of them when that day comes. God will take care of them. God will destroy them. God will bring great. God will bring even the hornet into the land in verse number twenty. And thou shalt not be affrighted by them in verse number twenty-one. And the Lord thy God will put out all of these nations little by little. Isn't this interesting? Verse number twenty-two. Look at it. It says. He says that God will begin to allow you to possess the land little by little. Why? So that the beasts do not take over. So that the lions and the tigers and the bears uh, don't take over the land. So when you go into the land and you go in there to uh, maybe uh, possess their houses, uh, and it's been about 20 or 30 years because it's taking you so long to get there, uh, after all that time, and you open up one of those doors and there's a lion in there and he kills a couple of people. He says, he says God's, not gonna, God's gonna allow this to happen little by little. Isn't God so orderly? This shows the order of God is what he's showing to us. He tells them if you're afraid, don't worry. And then in verses 25 and 26, notice this, he gives them an additional command. He says, when you've gone into the land and you've destroyed it and you've taken these cities, he says, you're going to find graven images. And some of those graven images are going to have gold and silver on them. He says, don't scrape the gold and silver off the images. I've oftentimes wondered about this. I've wondered, is this, is this the sin of Achan? I don't know. Did Achan scrape the gold off of, because it says he, that he took of the accursed thing. Now, I know God told them to not take of anything in Jericho. I understand that. But it's just a thought. Uh, but the point being here tonight is that he tells them, he says, those, that gold and that silver that was attached to the idol was a curse. A curse. Don't mess with that. Don't deal with that. When I was uh, in India, I was looking at some uh, souvenirs. And um, the missionary that I was with, he was not a missionary. I shouldn't say that. He wasn't a missionary. He was a, he was a native. Uh, he was a native. He was from, he was from India. And uh, he was a pastor in India. And uh, we were at this little gift market, and I said, man, I like that's a really nice-looking uh, elephant right there. And uh, the shop owner pulled it down and gave it to me, and the, 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 the pastor, he said, he said, he said no, he said, he, said, uh, he said, I can't let you buy that. He said, that's an idol. I said, man, it's pretty. Look how ornate it is and everything. I said, man, that's really nice. He said, if you want to buy that, he said, you're not going home with me. He said, because God saved me out of that. He said, I used to worship that. He said, and he said, that has, that has demonic uh, things that are attached to it. He said, you don't understand it because you're from America. He said, but I understand that. I was saved out of that. He said, he said if you want that, he said, then you can't come home with me. 
you think I bought it? <laughs> I didn't want to stay in India. I said, no, thank you. I said, I, he, said, he said, here, he said, uh, he told the shop owner, he said, show him the ones that are not idols. And he had some that are over here that weren't idols. And they were, they were, just, as, they were just as ornate. They were just as pretty. They were, they were, they were hand-carved just like the rest of them, but they just weren't idols. See, he knew the difference. And uh, we might say, oh, that's pretty, that's nice, and things like that. And uh, we need to be careful with those things. Be careful with them. First uh, Thessalonians says our principle for us there is what? Abstain from all appearance of evil, right? Just, just abstain from all appearance of evil. And uh, we might not place a high priority or a high price tag or much thought on idols in our land, um, but there is a... Uh, there is in many other lands, and we need to understand that. Uh, so remember what God has called you to do. That would be the first thing. Remember what God has called you to do. Remember your attitude and your actions among the nations that are around you. We ought to always be remembering that ourselves, amen? We are, we are living in a nation around us. We're living around a people that are not God's people. Does that make sense? We, if you're God's people, you're going to be around people that are not God's people. You're a royal nation. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We're, we're in a nation that, it, we're, we're a nation inside of a nation, okay? We're in a nation that's not Christian, and we are Christians. And we, got, we have to learn how to live inside of that society. Remember what God has called us to do. Remember God has called us to be separated from them to go out from them, but also to uh, realize that we don't join in with them, that we abstain from all appearances of evils, that we put away those wicked things that attaches us to the world. Remember that. Don't forget that. These principles that are found for us in Deuteronomy chapter number 7, these laws, these commands are great for us as Christians now today because they're great, they're, they're, they're principles for us to follow and shows to us very perfectly that God is not a God that has changed. That's what's so great about it. He is not a God that has changed. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So remember what God has called us to do. Chapter number 8, he jumps into this chapter by reminding us uh, not only to remember what God has called us to do, but chapter number 8 reminds us of this, where God has brought you from. In this chapter, we really start to find God calling them to remember the things that has happened to them in the wilderness, and also not to forget God when they enter into the land of Canaan. He tells them uh, five different times in this chapter to either remember or do not forget. Either remember or do not forget. Verses 1 through 5, he reminds them what God did for them in the wilderness. What God did for them in the wilderness. What did he do for them? Well, he let them, he proved them. In verse number, chapter number 8, and um, 
In verse number three, he says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee uh, with manna which thou knewest not, neither thy fathers know, that he might know that the man that doth live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. God did this to humble him. Verse number two says this, He put thee in the wilderness for 40 years to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Why does God allow trials to come into our lives? Those three things. To humble us, to prove us. The word prove means test, to test us, and to see if we'll continue to obey God even in the midst of a trial. That's what God does. There's many reasons why God puts us through suffering, but those are just three of them. Those are just three of them. To prove us, to try us, to humble us, and to see if we will obey God even when times are not easy on us. He reminds them uh, that in the wilderness that God fed them with manna, manna. Why? So that they might realize and understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You say, what does that mean? Well, they didn't live on bread. They lived on manna. Right? There's a difference. He's, when it says man shall not live by bread alone, he's not talking about the, the bread there is the bread that they would make when they grind in the mills. They didn't have fields. They didn't have places to grind. They didn't have any meal. They didn't have mills. They didn't have any of that, all right? What was their main source of nutrition? The manna from heaven that came out of the mouth of God. Because what does that mean? It means that like this, is that God said that he would provide this way and this is the way that he provided. It proceeded from the mouth of God is the idea. From hand to mouth, if you will. God gave it. And then who says that exact same verse? Test. Jesus, yes. Thank you, Miss Smith. And, uh, and I knew others knew that. Uh, but Jesus said that too. To remind us as believers that, that, that we are not living by bread alone. Amen. We're not living just by what we can get out of this world. We're living from hand to mouth, from God's hand to our mouth. We're living, we're depending upon God. Why did God give them manna? So that they could remember that for 40 years God fed them. And that when they got to the place of Canaan and they had mills and they had fruit and they had grain and they had livestock, that they wouldn't forget God. And it was really all of this was from the hand of God. Everything you have is from the hand of God. That Jif peanut butter in the, in, in the pantry is from the hand of God, all right? It's from the Lord. It's from, the, it's from God. It's not from Him. That's why we say, that's why we say uh, thanks whenever we uh, eat our meals, right? Because we, what are we doing? We're saying thank you, God. We're giving glory to God, and it's all about God. Now, verses 6 through 20, God then tells them what he's going to do for them when they get to the Lamb. But he adds this little caveat, all right? And you're going to see it. You see it many times throughout chapter 8. Don't forget about me when things start going well for you. Man, that needs to be a message that all of us just takes to heart. 
verses 6 through 10, he tells them that all things, all good things, God, all the good things that God is going to give to them. He tells them about the good land. He tells them about the brooks of water, the fountains of death, the springs out of the valleys, the land of wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, land of oil, olive, and honey. Uh, a land where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Uh, you'll eat it to the full. But here's the caveat in verse number 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein and all these good things happen to you, verse number 14, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, and there was no water, and brought thee forth out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness, and so on and so on and so on and so on. He's saying, hey, don't forget God. When God's blessings come upon you, and God's deliverance is upon you, that don't forget the commandments of the Lord. When things, why is this command here? This command is here is because when things start going well, we are too often prone to forget about God and forget his word. That's our natural disposition. That's what happens to us. And so we have to be reminded Verse 16, here is a good reason why God will humble us to prove us, as I've already said. So that, in verse number 17, in verse number 17, so that whenever you do well in the land, when things start going well in your life, that you do not say in your heart, in verse number 17, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. We should never, ever, ever, as Christians, believe that anything good that is we have gotten comes from us. Nothing. That is just... Not good practical theology, that's good theology. Because that goes back to our original nature. There is none good, no, not one. If we weren't even good in the first place, how is it that we can get good things too? How is it by our own hand we can produce good? Listen. Every good thing, as it says in James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The moment you start to say what, the, what he's saying here not to say, by my power, my might, my mind hand hath I gotten me this wealth, that is going to be pride. That's going to be pride. And for pride and for destruction. Pride cometh before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So let's be careful. The final warning in chapter 8 is this. 
that they would that they would forget these things and if they did forget these things that God would destroy them as he said he would destroy the nations that were before them it's a very solemn warning Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, and that may establish his covenant. Verse 19, And it shall be, if thou do all at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. Surely perish. God's warning to them is that they will perish if they will follow other gods. And I'm reading in 2 Kings, and I just read how the Syrians have come down and has destroyed Samaria and have taken them all away captive. God's word's true. God's word is true. If we forget God, then our children will forget God. And if our children forget God, we'll soon have a generation that has forgotten God. And is destroyed by the tempter. I forget who it was. Was it maybe somebody was in here? Maybe it wasn't. It was maybe it was a friend of mine. Does anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? He was a famous preacher in London, and uh, perhaps one of the most famous preachers that ever came out of London, and um, and. There was a man, uh, oh, I know who it was. I think it was Brother Staley, actually, is what, is what it was. And he was, uh, I think uh, his wife was uh, doing some kind of uh, class or something, and he went to go pick his wife up, and he sat down in the back of the class just to wait on her. And at the end of the class, the man said something very unusual. He said uh, something, you know, uh, and here's a quote from, uh, it was a medical quote that, this is a quote from a, a Baptist, even a Baptist preacher said this one time in London in the 1800s, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he said, I'm uh, somewhat related to him. And, uh, and what was interesting was this, is that the man didn't even know how famous he, Brother Staley went up to him afterwards. said, do you, not, do you know what he was? No, I don't even really know anything about him. The man was an atheist, an evolutionist. And I'm not saying that was Spurgeon's fault, but somebody dropped the ball, perhaps along the way. Now, we can't make our kids get saved. That's not the point. But we can tell our children about the Lord. We can tell them about the Lord. And we should tell them about the Lord. And we should help them to remember the things of God. But I'll also say this, in 1 Corinthians 3.17 we are reminded, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. God may see fit if, that, if we do not serve him and serve, uh, if we do not keep his commandments and use our own bodies to defile our own bodies against the word of God, then God may see fit to it that if we defile our bodies to a point that God may even determine that he might take our own bodies in order that, as he says in another place, to save the soul. To save the soul. The soul is saved. 
The body's dead. But God may cut our life short on this earth if we don't follow Him in the way that He wants us to. You say, at what point is that, Pastor? Well, that's the point that I don't know. And none of us know. None of us know that point. Let us not tempt God. Amen? And finally, chapter number three, or chapter number nine, remember God's mercy in your life. This is a call to remember that they would inherit the land, but not according to their righteousness. Hear, O Israel, thou, thou art passed over this Jordan this day to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven. And he says, when you go into this land, though, speak not, in verse number four, speak not thou in thine heart after the Lord thy God hath cast them out before, before you, saying, for my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't think that you'd get New Testament teaching in the Old Testament. But where does the New Testament get its teaching from? The Old Testament. He tells the children of Israel, you're not going into the land and possessing the land because of your righteousness. It wasn't because you're so good. That's not why you're going into the land. That's not why you're there. In fact, he says in verse number 6, Understand therefore the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. And all of us are a little hard-headed. All of us are. We all got our own issues in life. We all got our own hard-headedness and stiff-neckedness. All of us do. We've all been a little stiff-necked against God before. And we've turned the shoulder and we've uh, furrowed the brow uh, at God's commands before. Listen, we're not saved because of our own righteousness. It's not us. Titus says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And why did then God destroy these nations? Why did he? Why would God tell them to destroy these seven nations? You know what the answer for that is? And I was looking for this answer for quite some time. I don't know why I've never seen it. But right here is the answer for us. He gives it to you two times. All right? Plain and simple. Not because they were righteous, but look at the end of verse 4. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out before thee. Again, not for thy righteousness or uprightness of heart. Again, at the end of verse 5, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto, the father, unto thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He told Abraham, he said, Abraham, you cannot take the land now because the, the wickedness and the sin of the iniquity of the Amorites is not full yet. It's not done. But there's coming a day when their wickedness will be full and you may take the land. You may take the land. Why did God tell them to kill these people and destroy them? Because they were wicked. Say that simple? That simple. That's it. They were wicked. If you read about them, you'll find out just how bad they were. They were not going to the land because they were, they were righteous. 
They were going into the land because God's promises and because the people were wicked and they must destroy them. Verses 9 through 12, uh, really 9 to the end of the chapter is summed up and basically saying this is that, uh, is that uh, he reviews for them all the wicked things that they had done. Now, <laughs> this, this chapter kind of made me think a little bit. You know, if anybody thinks that they're going to heaven because they're, say, they're righteous, you know, wouldn't it be something if God played out before them on videotape all the wicked things that they had done? <laughs> wouldn't that be something? Or wouldn't it be something if a prophet came by and said, they said, man, I'm... To it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a good person. And then they were able, by the, by the word of the Lord, able to recount all the wicked things that they had done. Wow. All the lies. All the mean words. All the times that they were judgmental. I mean, what if we were able just boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, down the list. That's what he does from verses number 7 all the way to verse number 29. He just lays it out before them and tells them and reminds them what they had done. He tells them that they were not righteous. The golden calf proved that, right? He, he tells them that Moses then recalls the scene to them in verses 13 through 26, uh, right after the golden calf sin. And he tells them that he says that God wanted to destroy them. Remember that? And that God wanted to make a nation out of Moses greater than the nation of Israel then. And God prayed for them. And he says, this is what I did. I prayed for you. I fasted 40 days and 40 nights for you. I break the tables of stone there in the presence of God. Why did he break those tables of stone? Because that was the law of God. And the law demanded that they die. And he said, no, God, please, no. And he broke them in the, front, in the sight of God, in the sight of those people. He said, God, please, no. And then he went up to the mountain and he fasted and he prayed. And he, then he, and people say, why didn't Aaron die? Remember it was Aaron? Why? This passage tells us. It's because God, because he says, and I even prayed for Aaron that he die not, for the Lord wanted to kill him. And God saved him. Then he brings to mind again how they rebelled, rebelled at Kadesh Barnea and how again he fasted and prayed for them again 40 days and 40 nights. And then finally in verses 27 through 29, Moses reminds the people of his prayer. And his prayer went something like this. He said to the Lord, he said, Lord, remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What you had said that you would that you would bring this people into this land, and God remember that the honor of your name among the heathen. If you destroy these people, God, what will the heathen say? That God, you're not strong enough to take care of them. And then God remember your mighty power, which you used to bring them out. See what was this whole chat? All these chapters are about remembrance, and that should teach us how to pray. We ought, to, uh, we ought to know the promises of God so that we could even remind God about his own promises. Does God need reminding about those things? No, he doesn't need reminding. He doesn't need reminding. But it sure does bring a lot of comfort and help to your heart when you're in prayer. 
and you're able to recall to God, God, this is what your word says. This is what your word says, God, and I'm, I'm trusting in it. And I'm going to prove you as you would prove me. He says, prove me, right? Try me. See, if I won't do what I say I will do, God will do what he says he will do. Ask him for it. That's bold praying, isn't it? But God likes that kind of praying. And all of this was to remind them that they were not to go into the land because they were righteous and good people, but because of God's grace and God's mercy, and nothing has changed. People think that the Old Testament was about works, and sadly, uh, I'm, I'm 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 definitely not an ultra-dispensationalist or anything like that, but sadly, some of the dispensationalists of the past preached that uh, that the people of the Old Testament were saved by works. Well, the problem is with that is they just didn't read Deuteronomy. They didn't study that out like they should have. Listen, folks, people weren't saved by works back then as much as they weren't saved by works today. It's all by grace. Remember what we read, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth the power to get wealth. It is He that giveth. It's all the grace of God. Remembering where God has brought us from. Remembering what God has called us to. And remembering that our lives that we live is all about God's amazing grace. Father, we're thankful for the Word and pray that you